We are joined today by Molt, a YouTube Marvel Snap content sensation and the player who I believe has played more move decks <laughs> than anybody ever. I do not think there is another player who is even close. He's the perfect person to bring on to talk about everything happening in the move season because move is the kind of deck that until you've put in hundreds of games on it, you don't really have a sense for how it works. Like I had basically had to play a hundred games of my move deck before I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I see what's going on now. This makes sense. My win rate is better now. Like it took a long time for me to get there. And I think experience in a specific archetype is super, super valuable. So Molt, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. I'm excited to uh, talk about the archetype that I definitely enjoy the most, brings me the most joy within the game and uh yeah excited to kind of chat about the present the past and the future of move in the game i just want to get a baseline before we jump into move specifically um we have a section yeah. that's usually our listener question section Mult. we call it the bend and snap little legally blonde reference but i want to get your <laughs> background first off i think you started out i don't know if you started out but i know you're definitely have been in somewhat of a current Clash Royale content creator, moved into Marvel Snap. Right. Just talk a little bit about your background, that transition, and sort of you know the current stage of your content. Yeah, I can do a real quick uh, bird's eye view. So I started doing YouTube 10 years ago, started doing it full-time eight years ago uh, with Clash of Clans. And that turned into a fun game called Bloons Tower Defense Battles. Uh, which was what sent my first channel over a million subscribers was that game. And then uh, Clash Royale came out, put a lot of time into that game. If you Googled Clash Royale or typed in Clash Royale on YouTube, I was the face that popped up um, and did that for a long, long time. Uh, shoot, since 2016. And it has gotten pretty stale uh, from regards to how much content they put into it and everything. Um, in that game, I was always an anti-meta guy. <laughs> in Marvel Snap, I am an anti-meta guy. Not for the sake of just being the dude that's against the meta, but because I enjoy creating my own stuff and uh, I like diving deeper into combinations and things like that. Now, Clash Royale isn't a CCG like Marvel Snap is, does have cards, but it's not even close in regards to like the same sort of play style or anything like that. Um, and then when Marvel Snap uh, came out, I started my channel over a year ago um, for Marvel Snap. And I was like, I freaking love this game. Mm -hmm. Dove into it head, force, head first. And I've been kind of double dipping, posting on the old main channel. And then now spending the majority of my time on Marvel Snap just because it makes me the happiest. <laughs> You talked about transitioning, and I've noticed that a lot of the top mm. like snap content creators are people who had experience content creating in other games that aren't necessarily card games. Right. Mm. And so one of the things that really sticks out to me, because I come from a card game background, is just so many players to snap. It seems as this is though this is their first card game. Right. And I'm guessing what is your perspective on that, given that this I don't know if this is your first card game, but it's the first one you've done content for. What would you say like the biggest hurdle was if you're one of those players, what would you say the biggest thing you had to like wrap your mind around was jumping from another mobile game into this having not been a card game? Yeah, I mean, there's there's different aspects of it. So I've I played Hearthstone for a little bit, never like deeply. Um, Legends of Rune Terra was the first card game that I kind of like started putting some effort into i made a little channel for it and maybe posted like 10 videos on it but that game was hard because of how long the games are 
Um, and it was difficult to like not get frustrated spending hours and hours where you only have five, six games or whatever compared to what you can get out of um, Marvel Snap. And and so I think for people who are transitioning from that world into Marvel Snap content creation, like it's just a, it's just a different animal um, in regards to like the amount of time and knowledge that goes into those things. But when it comes to Marvel Snap and transitioning from other games that aren't card games, there is so much depth in CCGs that people who have a history with them just automatically have a huge advantage. Like I'll watch people like you and Jeff and Dara and other people just talk about like so much stuff that doesn't even cross my mind. And so when it comes to approaching content for a game where you don't know all of it, you can't act like you know it all. Um, you might act like you know it all in a certain realm after you've played specific things. Like for me and Move, I probably know more than more about Move than the majority of people who play this game. Um, and that's because I've put a lot of time into it. Now, that doesn't mean that I know like deeper aspects of other archetypes or anything like that, just because I know about this. And so for people who switch into a new thing like this to create content, it's like, stay in your lane. Don't pretend that you're somebody that you're not or anything like that. And just do your thing and kind of figure out your own little niche or whatever. And for me, it's playing anti-meta and then I fell in love with move. And then it's just like, everybody's like, most just throwing move cards into everything. Like literally, <laughs> I'll throw Heimdall in the most random decks. Like it doesn't matter to me. Always trying to catch people off guard. No, that works though. That that actually works. The the like the <laughs> Heimdall thing, I used to call it ye old juke because like back in the beta, <laughs> it would be an actual thing people did just to like absolutely get you. It was never something yeah. that like really caught on, but it totally works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So how would you how would you describe your sort of content niche and target audience in Marvel Snap specifically is have you sort of really honed in on the move thing? Is it people looking for, you know, kind of these off meta decks, something to spice up I don't know, mm -hmm. what, what does get stale? How would you describe it? I feel like <clears throat> even though I've only been doing Marvel Snap for a year, I've gone through a couple of different like phases for a while. It was me just trying to do the most ridiculous stuff because that's what I would try and do in Clash Royale. And so it's like, okay, how big can I get this Venom? And if I lose 40 games and you get to watch all of it, but I get one friggin' huge Venom because I get Bar Sinister and I get Shuri's Lab and like different things that equate to that, then like some of my best videos are videos like that where I have a huge negative Hobgoblin, a big Deadpool, big Venom. So for a while it was like, okay, what can I do to make people laugh and take a little bit of a break from like always trying to win and try and show people what the game has to offer? I think that as content creators, it's it's important to try and show the depth of a game and like what you can do to experiment in it. Now, does that always get clicks? No. And so there's a weird balance to where you'll see seasons where people are talking about their best decks. Like for me right now, if I, I'm talking about my best move decks right now, because that's what it is. That's what's working for me right now. Um, and you have to be able to kind of shift and, and flow with things. Um, but I would say my niche right now, and honestly for the last couple of months has been move Move, but with it not being that popular of an archetype, a lot of times people don't click on it. And so there's that balance of like, okay, maybe I should start making like Sarah controlled X with Iron Fist, Dagger, and Cloak in them, but not title it Move because that might not be getting clicks. And so I would always kind of throw that in there and 
slowly try and get people to see the I don't know, the possibilities of move without them knowing that they were going to be learning about move when they clicked on the video, you know? And so it's this, it's this weird cycle of like, I love move. I want people to love move too, but they don't want to. So I'm going to kind of secretly force it on them. And then people started saying like, whoa, wait a second, iron fist dagger, final turn for three. That's nasty. And just kind of trying to bring people into that whole realm. And then obviously once the move season came out, everybody was like, okay, we know who's going to be covering a lot of move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I do want to jump in on something that you mentioned there though, which was, you know, you're someone who gets upset when you're losing. Like I do, I get upset (laughs) when I'm losing. Like, how do you train yourself to do that first type of content where it's just like, I'm going to make a big venom and just lose 40 games. Like, how do you, because for me, whenever I try to do something like that, Mm -hmm. I'll see that number go down and I'll speak. I can't do this. I can't (laughs) handle it. Yeah. Uh, Typically, I would start doing that once I made it to Infinite um, because then it was a little less difficult. Uh, But there would be times where if there was a certain location um, or something like that, I would situationally be like, okay, this location warrants itself towards this type of thing. So like when Bar Sinister was the main location, one of my most viral clips is Bar Sinister. I played Shuri on it and then I played uh, Hobgoblin and it was like negative 126 and it went on to their Galactus lane and they immediately retreated and it was just like so freaking comical. Um, but a lot of times I kind of balance it around locations and what type of things you can do because I mean, I can't be competitive all the time. Um, and so I have to give my brain a rest and be like, okay, how can we just mess around and have fun with this? And it's tough, man. Like I have a notepad now next to me where I write down after every game to kind of show the successes that I have and then the failures so that if I have like three bad games in a row, I don't just get tilted and delete the video. I can look down and be like, oh, I actually have like six good things. So I can kind of keep that mentality going instead of getting frustrated. (laughs) No, I like this is the last place on earth that would judge you for that. I'm gonna be honest <laughs> with you. Like, uh, like so like that is actually just super interesting to me personally as a content creator because like there are situations where it's like I want to be more like that, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be more someone who has fun regardless of result. And it's hard to deprogram your brain from being like, oh man, I lost and that sucks. Right. I think there's there's one way to do it if you can do um, friendly battles with people where mm. you try and accomplish things that wouldn't be able to be accomplished otherwise, like infinitely sending something back or like just trying to think, okay, what can we do together? Like, what can I send you on your side that's going to benefit you, which is so counteractive to how Marvel Snap works. But if you're playing with a friend for a single goal in mind to get something, then you can work together by sending stuff over with Viper or whatever that could end up benefiting them, like sending them a Wong on a location where they have a Wong and it's Kamartage and it's like, oh, sick. Like, what can what can we do with this together? And then that kind of takes away the the losing side of things to where you're both working together for the common goal of accomplishing something that rarely would ever happen, like if people were just playing. I'm envisioning the largest Black Panther of all time. Right? right. Like you send them a Wong and then like they do Panther Zola or something with two Wongs mm-hmm. on a Kamartage. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I was doing a little bit of research and we've had a few people on this podcast, I think, fall into this bucket. But it, it looks like you do daily content. 
And I, I really want to dig behind the process of that. And you've been a YouTuber for 10 years. So is that something you've yep. been doing for 10 years? And how do you maintain it in Marvel Snap? You talked about it in, in Marvel Snap. You're going for, you're, you're trying to do unique things, right? You, you might not get it on the first game. How the heck are you pumping out daily videos? And what's sort of the, what's, what's the process behind that? Yeah, I mean... First and foremost, this is my job and I've got two kids and a wife and I got to provide for them. Um, and especially after doing this for 10 years, that perspective comes to the forefront more and more and more to where it's like, okay, I want to have fun and I do have a lot of fun playing this game, but ultimately my job is to provide for my family. So that's always on my mindset. Now, does that mean that daily videos is the way to do that for anybody who's looking to get into content? No, I mean, look at Mr. Beast. He posts, what, once every two weeks, once every month? So no, it's not It's not all about daily. Um, for me, I have made the equivalent of, I think it's a video a day for 13 years <laughs> across all of my channels. So my main channel has thousands of videos on it. I have multiple other second channels um, where I used to do stuff. The main channel for a while, whenever I would transition to a new game, I would double upload. So like when I switched from Clash of Clans to Balloons, like I mentioned, each day to not upset my audience, I would do a Clash of Clans video and a Balloons video. And now that was YouTube 10 years ago to where there wasn't much editing. It was a little bit easier. You still had to do the content and still had to make thumbnails and all that kind of stuff, but it was a little bit easier. Um, but now I am not an organized person in any means. Uh, and so I've really been trying to use like my Google Calendar app and like try and schedule out everything that I'm doing. So it's like, okay, here's when I'm going to make my thumbnails, which is my favorite part. One of my favorite parts of YouTube, because I was a graphic designer before I started doing YouTube. And so that's something that still gets my creative juices flowing. Um, and so I have like a time where I'm making my thumbnail, I have a time where I'm recording, I have a time where I'm editing, and I have a time where I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And then when I'm done with that, then I can try and work ahead. But I've really had to try and kind of lock myself in to make sure I can do that stuff. And for the most part, I'll probably get if I can get seven videos uh, a week, then I will, but it's typically around five or six, but daily is, is the goal for sure. Yeah. Incredible. What is it like, uh, you, before we hopped on the podcast, you mentioned that you had been on vacation. What's it like queuing up content for, for a sort of a daily video upload, um, process? Yeah, it's tough because you, you kind of have to start, I mean, almost sometimes a week before your vacation and, you're you're still having to make content for the days leading up to the vacation and then also for those other days. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go on a trip for five days, but I have five days until that vacation. That means I have to make 10 videos in the next five days. Um, and it's just like, all right, fam, I'll see you, like, <laughs> I'll see you in the morning and uh, I might, might see you for dinner. I'm not really sure. Um, but it's worth it to get that time and, and to be able to take those uh, trips and, and kind of relax and whatnot. But it's tough. Like you got to stay organized. And um, I try my very best not to work when I'm on vacation. Um, if I do, then I'll save it for like all the kind of menial things. So mm -hmm. titles, description, blah, blah, blah. But otherwise it's like I'm recording, I'm editing. And sometimes I'll record five videos in a day and then just spend the next two days editing. So like kind of get it in chunks when I'm like in a groove and just get after stuff. But it's it takes a lot, man. And I've been doing that for years and I still don't do it the most efficiently as I can. Yeah. Funny little anecdote. I was looking at, I was looking at your videos on your Snap channel and I actually wrote in the podcast notes to ask 
if you did your thumbnails. But I was like, that's actually a stupid question. These are way too good. There's no way he does these thumbnails. They're really <laughs> some of the best snap thumbnails I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, it's freaking awesome, man. Um, I want to ha- I want to head into the news because some stuff did happen over the past week. Uh, we had Wait, really. Yeah, well, I missed it. We lost. Uh, well, they, they massacred our boy, as they say. Anyway, we had some OTA card balance <laughs> updates. So Maria Hill um, was still two three, but says on reveal, add a random one or two cost card to your hand. Mm-hmm. Previously was add a random one cost to your hand. So a buff, I think overall, but maybe, yeah, the most yeah. impactful change that they made for sure. This is the one that mattered. Not the Galact. Okay, we'll get to the Galactus one. <laughs> uh, Dazzler, uh, 4 4, now a 3 2. Uh, previously said, if you have four cards at each location plus six power, now it says ongoing plus two power for each location that's full on your side. I think this was one of the more impactful ones. Camby, you've been experimenting with this at all in like the Sarah decks? No. No. What about you? Like, I like her fine. I like her fine. The Sarah Surfer deck is a fine place to put her because yeah. literally straightforward, she costs three. I've seen Moyen running Patriot with her in mm. it, which is like pretty cute. It gives you like angles when you don't draw Patriot. It's actually like probably decent because you have like this you know, you have this ability to like go a little bit taller than they might expect when you're not playing Patriot mm-hmm. if you're on like a blue Marvel Ultron angle, but still. Mm. Yeah, I don't think the upside of her is that significant to build a deck around her. I think that she does fit within the Sarah Surfer um, style deck, especially if you're playing um, Brood and you can make it a little bit easier to fill up at least two of the locations to give her that little bump. Um but I mean, it was cool. I, I was happy to see that they are at least experimenting and being like, okay, by moving this down to a three, it's going to fit into this sort sort of archetype and it'll be a card that people can transition in, which makes me happy because things get too stale when it's just the same repetitive stuff. So, you know, some people like to play or some people don't. And that makes me happy because it always kind of shifts things up. So I haven't experimented with too much, but I think that there's a little bit of potential in, in those Sarah Surfer builds. Yeah, for sure. And on to the next one, which is Galactus. Was a 6-2, <laughs> now is a 6-7. Looks like a buff, but oh, here we go. On reveal, if you are winning this location and this is your only card here, destroy all other locations. So Galactus, obviously a card that the community was split on. There was a lot of healthy discussion mm-hmm. around Galactus. <laughs> I was a bit of a Galactus enjoyer myself, I would say. Uh but let's let's get let's get your thoughts on it first, Mol. What do you think? Six seven. Um, I'm happy to see a change. Here, here's my take on it because games or games are for everybody to have fun, and everybody has different views of what fun is. I don't enjoy Galactus. I don't even enjoy playing Galactus. I think I've maybe played Galactus five times, like legitimately. Um, it just isn't my type of play style, but other people enjoy it. And who am I to take that joy away from them? Um, but I do think that it was a very oppressive sort of um, play style that made the game unenjoyable for a lot of people. Uh, and I'd be interested to see, like, if they if they just got rid of Galactus, I'd be interested to see how many people... Like if they could track how many people left the game because of Galactus and how many people would stay because they were able to play Galactus, I'd be really interested to see where those numbers lie. Obviously, that's not really trackable. Um, but that sort of and, and that sort of car that's like, hey, we're playing a game where we play on three locations. Here's one location. Mm. It, it just it just always felt weird to me that they would limit 
the design of their game was kind of my take on it. And so it would get frustrating because I'm like, especially playing move, it's like, okay, cool, retreat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'm happy that they did something. And now that they have put it in its in a place, I think that they'll be able to adjust it easier with OTA changes and stuff when they weren't necessarily before because it did need a little something. Um I don't know. It's tough, man, because when you have cards like that that are so strong too, people save up for them and save up for them and save up for them and then they buy them and then they get nerfed when they probably should have been nerfed two months ago and now you have all these people that are pissed and then these people who left because it wasn't nerfed soon enough and it's a weird balance of just figuring all that out. And I mean, obviously they're working at it and getting better, but I think something needed to be done with, with Galactus. Is this it? I'm not sure because I do want people who play Galactus to still enjoy it, but I think it was a little bit too much of a cookie cutter kind of checklist sort of deck that would make people happy because mm -hmm. I mean, his animation and everything's pretty dope, but yeah. uh, you know, that's kind of my view on it. Definitely a very uh, wanna, asymmetric card for sure. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah. I want to jump in on something you said there though, which was, it was your view that Galactus was like this polarizing card that breaks the boundaries of their game. And that's not your view. That's just the truth, right? Like, that's right. what it is. And it's also not even just the truth. It's something that I believe Ben Brode did an interview like, I want to say six months ago, like in October, where he was mm. talking about like, what card are you most worried about? And he said it was Galactus because it was just the, the thing that stripped the most out of the game. Right. And I mm -hmm. think that's basically where I was at with Galactus, where it's like card games are enjoyable a lot of the time because of the artifice of decisions that you get to make that all impact the game. And Galactus right. just rips that off, just rips it apart. There's one decision that matters, maybe two, and that's it. Right. And so I like what they did to change it. I think it's actually really elegant mm -hmm. because now instead of that one decision being made in deck building, it gets to be made on the battlefield. Yep. You figure right. out where the Galactus is going. You put a bigger guy there. You have more ability to interact with. Yeah. So yep. I actually I might be the biggest booster of this change they've ever had. This is I one think of the, it's awesome. I think this is one of the best yeah. the best nerfs they've ever done. Um, I do think it's a nerf. So the difference between this and the previous Galactus is is really what you said, Cam, which is you don't have to win the game in deck building. Like if you're a Galactus player now, the issue really comes if your opponent can read that you're on Galactus because it's much easier to play around. You can sort of spread your power against lanes, try to give buff seven power mm -hmm. before that thing comes down. So. As the Galactus player, yes. If your opponent is able to sniff it out based off your early curve, then it's going to be a lot harder. But outside of that, the card still does, it still functions, right? And there's going to be players that can still utilize this. And it's going to be a repeatable effect. You'll be able to pull this off consistently. It's just you can't have the streamlined version that also runs Destroyer, also attacks on different angles, etc. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a much more narrow card, but it still fills that slot. And the reason why I liked Galactus and I know that it had problems with win rate and representation and things like that, but it's nice to have a way to play the game that is very different from the other ways to play the game. And that's not a very elegant way of saying it, but that's what Galactus <laughs> was. I mean, a lot of Marvel Snap is a version of Point Slam. Like You, you do win by winning the three lanes by having more points in your opponent. And Galactus kind of threw a lot of that out of the window and gave you a new and for some what some people saw as refreshing way to play the game to sort of break up the monotony of what a lot of other decks did so mm -hmm. i liked its function that way but we ran into problems when the deck was too consistent it was too powerful and you know to an extent you could you could argue that it demanded a counter from t turn one your opponent plays yondu and you're like oh shit like here we go yeah. now, now i gotta figure something out so 
one of the yeah. best nerfs, though, I think that they've ever done, to be honest. This and the Zabu nerf, really, they're, they're up there for me. Yeah. Really, really and good. I'm starting to see people, like, have to make more decisions when they're playing Galactus. Like, somebody earlier played um, Iron Fist on turn four and played Spider-Man turn five and then Galactus on that location. And I was like, hey, that was cool. Like that, I I didn't expect to see that. I knew it was going to be Galactus, so I retreated, but I was like, I, I wasn't upset because I was like, hey, they thought about something that wasn't just what everybody else did. And I appreciated that. I thought that it looked really cool. And honestly, with the past Galactus decks, I think one of the cards that was most frustrating to me was Doc Ock because mm -hmm. I would always have Jug and Cosmo in my freaking hand, ready to go with like the dumbest smirk on my face. And they would play Doc Ock and they would just pull those two. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Uh, and so I think Doc Ock was probably the more frustrating card because it was fun to counter Galactus and play around it in that regard. But when your counters were taken away, then it was just kind of another punch in the gut, at least. Favorite counter is a uh, super scroll because it's plus two power on null. Yeah, on it's, the final it's super scroll and leader yeah. off the null. It's, <laughs> it's great. Um, so in other news, conquest mode came out. Something we've been waiting for for a long time um, has finally come out. I want to get your take, but I want, I was surprised. And I know a lot of us were when we queued up that first game of conquest mode. You ran into a bot. I also <laughs> ran into a bot in the first match of silver, which I actually got eight cubed right off the bat because I didn't know yeah, it was how, a bot. That's how it goes. Yep. Mm -hmm. You get you get one in the first of each tier. First of each tier, yeah. So I got I've been I got botted, and anyway, it's not it's not going to be you, you're not going to you run win? into bots consistently. And I don't think are they going to be an infinite at all? Did you win? Hold on, I want to revisit. So this. yeah, I got eight cubed off the bat, and then I won because I figured out it was a bot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's that's how bots go in Marvel Snap. If you know it's a bot, there is there is sort of a process to know you can win. The problem is if you're down to two yeah. cubes, it's like. It's basically zero sum. There's no retreating or any retreating. You just have to like draw better than the bot. It takes but, uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> yes, it did take a long time. Um, have you guys been playing the mode? What do you think about it? Is it all is it all you hoped it would be, etc.? You can go first, game. Okay, sure. Uh it's dope. <laughs> like, I played <laughs> what I've been doing is I farmed the proving grounds, by the way. Side note. Uh endorse conquest communism. That's that's what we're doing. If you're in the proving grounds, <laughs> snap on turn one. You win, you win the whole thing, you win the whole thing. That's just how it goes. Get those tickets out to as many people as possible. That's just what we're going to have to do to make this mode easier for people to play. Uh, so mm -hmm. that, that, that's step one. Step two, after I did that, I've been converting my silver tickets into gold tickets. Mm -hmm. And there's no MMR. So I am mostly playing, with all due respect to the players that I play, mostly playing players who I don't recognize from Infinite. Mm -hmm. playing players that are making mm -hmm. some mistakes that maybe they shouldn't be making. Although there has been some recent exceptions to that. Like uh, in my last two silver conquest runs, I played players that I absolutely did recognize from high infinite. It was like, Oh man, I did not expect to have to deal with this here. <laughs> uh, conquest has been awesome for me because of that. And a lot of that is because I have played, I want to say, Oh, probably like 20 games of battle mode in conquest since it's came out and I've lost, one in 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 like silver or above and so a lot of it is that right obviously i think it's awesome because i'm winning a lot right like the psychology of card that's games not, yes. that's not like i what i'm getting at is i don't think i have an objective experience of mm -hmm. it i'm enjoying it a lot because it mitigates the bad rng and makes me more able to express mm -hmm. skill and snap over a larger sample size which obviously benefits someone who you know assuming i am better than most of the people that i play would obviously benefit me right 
And I've been enjoying it a lot, but I will tell you, I have had some like, I don't I don't exactly know if I would call it anxiety. Okay. But it's just like, do I really want to commit to playing a battle? It is different. Yeah. Like, I'll be on stream and it's like, do I really want to do that? Because I, I feel like when I'm in a conquest, I have to really be on mm -hmm. in a way that mm -hmm. I don't have to be on just like playing something on ladder, talking with chat and being on is a bit tough for me to do as a content creator it's a bigger demand yep. on your time it's a bigger demand on your attention yeah yeah i completely agree i think that the approach to it is going to be different for uh your content creators and your non-content creators uh in regards to focus and all that kind of stuff uh for me it's interesting as somebody who plays off meta um I get a little bit bored of seeing the little glowing ring in the top corner behind their name, knowing that they're playing high evolutionary once again. Uh, and I mean, I still beat them and it is what it is. Uh, and I, I do appreciate the fact that like battle mode is cool in, in, in the fact that there's a lot of strategy in learning what your opponent is going to do. And it's like, everybody wants a rematch. Like you, it's like, Oh man, if I could just go up against that other guy, if I could go up against that guy on the ladder again, I would beat him this time. And so there is a joy in being patient, knowing when to retreat, knowing when to snap and taking advantage of all of that. And as you learn your opponent's deck, knowing when they actually have been like screwed by locations or something like that and being able to jump into it, which you don't really get on the ladder until you've seen them play a couple of cards. But you could see off of turn one, you're like, oh, okay, that location, they're playing Aivo. That's not going to re really work too well for them, whatever. Um, I've been enjoying playing it, but the way that my mind works is I'm still just like trying to make my decks work in uh, in it. And to a certain extent, you're going to have to play some meta decks that are a little bit more proven, especially if you're somebody who really, really wants to like get after it and, and do it to the best of like, I don't know, get the best advantage or whatever. Um, so for me as a player, I like it, but it doesn't feel too different in regards to like a competitive thing. I really wish that it was draft. Um, I think that that would be incredible. And I think that that would actually challenge people's skill and overall knowledge of the game more than just going into something with a deck that you copied from somebody else. I think building a deck is going to show who the better player is. And yeah, you still have RNG in that, but still that's that's my no. biggest like wish list thing is a competitive draft mode i think that'd be sick so here's here's the thing i want to i want to run by you because like i am probably it, one of the larger sources of those net decks right you talk about decks people copy mm -hmm. from other players that's what i do right i right. am that right one of the things that i've been focusing a lot on recently is like you need to take what i'm doing and change it like yeah because when i tell you why i'm doing like if i'm playing you know you need to understand why the cards are there, right. not just understand that they exist. You need to know what each of them is doing. And if you understand that, you can make your own changes, right? The mm -hmm. example I like to use is like the Lockjaw uh, High Evolutionary deck. There's like one tech slot in there, basically, but it really matters because you have the option of playing mm -hmm. Killmonger to target the, lockdown, the Lockdown High Evo decks that run a ton of one drops or playing mm -hmm. Wave to target the Kitty Pride decks, which is one of your only really bad matchups. And like, that's a really important decision because you don't have control over who you're gonna play. And if people don't get like, if people just all see my deck and only play Killmonger and then run into Kitty Pride and they're like, well, why didn't I win? It's like, well, that's that's why, because you have to get that. Yeah. And I feel like that that is like, it's so important when you play a deck to understand why the decisions were made. And I think this is even more important 
to have the confidence to disagree. Right. Yeah. Like that, that feels like the critical thing to me because like, yeah, I did play a bunch of battle mode. There was a lot of high Evo in battle mode. <laughs> high Evo is the meta right now, but like you yep. can do stuff about it kind of sometimes it's, it's hard to like do a lot of things about it. It's a little, a little really good. But yeah. like, <laughs> if you don't understand what they're doing or if you don't understand what you're doing then you got mm. no shot. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, one of the things I like to say to people all the time when I'm building decks and they say, I don't have this card. What should I put in there? Especially if I'm like streaming, I'm like, let's have a conversation. What, what do you think you should put in there and why? Like, what are you replacing and what can you look through to see that has a similar effect? So it's like, okay, if I don't have goose, what else can I do? Well, obviously storm is a pretty obvious answer there because it's kind of similar in what it can do or, okay, goose locks down. What can I do? I could play juggernaut. That's another option. I could play Stegron, like trying to help people kind of go down that line of, I don't have the A plus for this spot. What's the A spot? What's the B plus? And like going down and figuring out how to do that is incredibly important and honestly, super like rewarding for people as they learn to edit things to their own specific play style. Because like I said earlier, I would suck if I was playing Galactus because it's not my play style. And so if people can take a deck that's good and tweak it to something that they're good at, they're going to be more effective at playing that one than they are maybe the better deck because it's designed for somebody who has that mentality of and, and play style, if you will. Mm. This one is, of the other things to think about in those spots where people are like, what card do I run instead of this? Isn't just like, can you run a bad version of this? But like, what if you give up on doing the thing this was trying to do? Like extreme uh, example, nobody doesn't have Shang-Chi, but if you didn't have Shang-Chi, you don't really get to replace that, right? You have right. to just take another angle. You have to think about what you're trying to do. And in order to do that, you have to understand why the deck is doing what it's doing. And right. so I think I think that's something that really keys into like why we brought you on here for move, because I think that probably like understanding what that deck is doing is so, so intricate. Yeah, it's a classic card game conundrum of uh, give me the sideboard guide. But you you mentioned something about playing move in Conquest. And I wonder when you play move on ladder, if you get any equity out of the surprise factor and if that's mitigated in a longer format like Conquest and thus extrapolating Mm -hmm. from that, if Conquest actually incentivizes you more to play on meta decks than ladder does because you're going into this longer form game where the opponent can now see what you're trying to do and respond to it, right? Where when you counter move on ladder, a lot of players don't know what kind of power move move being primarily primarily a point slam deck um, from my assumption. A lot of players don't mm-hmm. know what those critical values are, those breakpoints. But, you know, after a couple games of Conquest, we start to understand what the play pattern is, the Heimdall move, and, you know, what kind of power values we're dealing with. Do you think that, you think that Conquest incentivizes people to play more of the meta decks? I definitely think... Uh that it that it does, yes, in that regard. But here here's the thing about move. While it is somewhat predictable, um, especially as you face somebody in conquest, um, there's so many different ways to win with it. Like mm-hmm. there, there genuinely are so many different ways that you can win, especially as you learn what your opponent is doing. If I'm going up against somebody playing a high Evo deck, they have one way that they're pretty much trying to win, you know, maybe two for me. And so, so I can watch them and I can say, okay, here's the line that they're probably going to take. 
And it makes it more predictable for me to be able to play because I know where they're kind of at. But even as they learn my deck, they don't know if I'm going to use Doctor Strange or if I'm going to use Ghost Spider or if I'm going to use, I'm going to save Iron Fist for the end. Did he not draw into Iron Fist? I don't know. And so like just switching it, there's so many different ways, especially now with Ghost Spider to move things that you actually can catch people off guard for multiple games in a row. And then at a certain point, they're just going to feel out of it. Like I've had so many people i played my gamuva deck all the way up and like people just started leaving uh when they had like two cubes left or whatever because they're like okay this is freaking annoying and they were just like retreat and i was like cool thanks <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's actually it, <laughs> the move the move mind games are so interesting to me mm. because so much of being like the, the classic example is heimdall right you have set it up such mm. that you can win if you heimdall and they do this but then right. that play, if you Chavez can beat whatever the other thing is. And I'm sure I just absolutely butchered the English language there. But you get <laughs> where I'm going with it, which is the Heimdall versus no Heimdall plays on the final turn of the game. Right. Require you to understand what your opponent expects you to do mm. and understand that you have to be able to beat that. And I think that's what when you talk about like how you can get multiple cubes off of people over a consistent period of time with this deck, it's because you can be on the level above what they expect consistently. And I think that's the real thing that I kind of wanted to try to bring out of you in this interview, because like if you're playing move a ton, you probably have so much experience with that. Will they won't they game? Right. And I'm kind of wondering what your insights on that would be. What do you have to say about the will they won't they at the end of the game? How do you approach it? How do you get in their mindset? What is the thing that you do? What is your thought? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to um, first trying to figure out what type of player you're going against. Um, are they somebody that is going to be I don't mean this in a negative way, but so simple minded to think that I'm just going to play Heimdall, you know, like are, are they is there is their knowledge of moves so simple that they think this is going to be the outcome. And I feel like as you play somebody, you can kind of tell their play style. Are they just copying something or are they actually doing creative stuff? And then that will kind of affect the way that I approach it moving forward um, in regards to, okay, are are they going to think I'm going to make a super crazy play here or are they going to think I'm just going to make an obvious play? Um, and sometimes that'll bite me in the butt and the obvious play would have actually won, but they ended up doing something weird and I end up losing. Um, but so much of it is just deck knowledge and knowing like knowing the meta and knowing what your opponent is playing. Like with high Evo, all of my move decks run Juggernaut. And so that is ideally my final turn play. I want to play Juggernaut, especially mm -hmm. if I've been able to. I also run Angela in all of my move decks. And I don't know why people slept on that for so long, but Angela gets thick in move decks. It is ridiculous because you can just play everything, move it, play it, move it again. And it's just like, how the heck did Angela just get up to 12? Um, and so I'll try and lock down a location, like knowing what they're doing, save my juggernaut and save my Dr. Strange for final turns. And juggernaut a lot of times will mitigate a lot of the decisions that your opponent might be making unless they're playing like a Dr. Doom deck. So that's one of the only times where juggernaut fails me is when they play doom on a different location. And I calculated for 
not five power at that location, mm-hmm. and then I'll lose those games. But for the most part, if you're not going up against um, a deck that you think is playing Dr. Doom, then Juggernaut takes a lot of the thought process out. It's like, okay, if I play Jug here, I know I'm going to win. Um, and especially if you've been able to kind of... like. Controlling your power with move decks is so important. You do not want to get too much power at one location because you're wasting it. Like if I end, if I know I'm going to play Juggernaut on this one location, I want to play as little power as I can there throughout the game to make sure that I just am like one or two points ahead. So that means maybe I play my Iron Fist on that location and I move something somewhere else just so I can get two more, two more. And then it's like, okay, cool. I know that I can take this. And then like playing Juggernaut and Doctor Strange, like there's just, there's so many different things. You can go Jug and move things, and then Iron Fist Dagger, and but you play Jug first so that the cards move to the location, so the Dagger hits more cards. And there's just I could talk about it all day, and it probably just sounds like nonsense, but well, <laughs> I've played so that, much. That's that, actually <laughs> literally why I wanted you here. Yeah. So no, please continue. <laughs> let's let's set this <laughs> let's set the stage with the list though, because there I think you said Gamuva. I, I heard you say it earlier. I yeah. actually didn't know the name of the yes. list, but um, I snagged this off your recent video, also off your Twitter, same list. So Kitty for the audio yep. listeners: Kitty Pride, Human Torch, Iron Fist, Angela, Dagger, Ghost Spider, Cloak, Storm, Doctor Strange, Juggernaut, Vulture, Gamora. You just want to break down the break down the twelve for us. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Kitty Pride is freaking ridiculous. Kitty Pride is such a good card, especially for someone like me. In Clash Royale, I always played cycle cards. I get bored. I have ADD. I want to be doing something. Kitty Pride lets me do that. So it like helps me focus because I'm not waiting around. I just get to play Kitty, and if you get her early on. Man, it's so good. So ideally in this deck, what I would do is play Kitty turn one and then Kitty by itself turn two, then turn three, Angela Kitty. Um, and then turn four is when you start getting into some of the move stuff um, to where you could play Kitty if you wanted to or if they've built up enough stuff, you can play Dagger on top of Angela and then you can play Cloak on a location where maybe they've played a couple of things then you can move that dagger and then you can play Ghost Spider on a different location. You can play Kitty on Angela again, tagging that, and then you can play uh, Human Torch or something like that. And so the goal with this deck is honestly to always be tagging Angela if you have it down because that will creep up on people to where they're just not prepared for it. And honestly, with the way that this deck starts with Angela and Kitty Pride, people aren't expecting a move deck, especially if you play Storm on top of that Angela as well. They're like, okay, this is probably a Silver Surfer deck or something because a lot of times when people see Storm, they think, oh, they're going to jug me and then they're going to play Silver Surfer or whatever. Um, And so you can kind of hide, you can kind of hide what you're doing with this deck a lot of times until turn three or four. uh, And then that really puts you into control of knowing whether you should play Human Torch or not. Human Torch is in here kind of, is kind of as a cycle. You never want to commit too much to Human Torch because of things like Killmonger. Um, if you can move Human Torch just to a Cloak location, it's a 1-4. That's great power. Mm-hmm. That's really all that you need. Um, Iron Fist is in here to start the snowball, as I say. Iron Fist is the beginning of the majority of move combos. Um, it is that little tilt over the edge, and then you get things like Ghost Spider, Cloak, and Doctor Strange 
to keep that thing rolling. Um, and then really the reason that uh, Juggernaut is in here, like I was saying earlier, it is an incredible control card. It's a Galactus counter, um, at least historically. Now it still is, and I'd still get people with it, but you don't need it as much. Um, but Jug is just great against Sarah decks and all this kind of stuff to where you can fill things out and you can just push them over to other locations. Like I said earlier, Jug with an Iron Fist and a Dagger is incredible because Jug moves it, which lets you know that Dagger is going to fully proc on those locations. Um, and then if you've been playing Kitty this whole time, then final turn, Kitty's going to be an 8 or even a 10. And you play Kitty Gamora and it's that's 22 power on the mm -hmm. board, which will uh, compete directly with Haivo Hulks, like no problem whatsoever. So if you've been able to say win a location with Storm Juggernaut and you've been able to move a couple other things and then you've got that Gamora Kitty on that final turn, it's really, really good. Um, if you wanted to and to try and catch people off guard in certain scenarios, you can play Gamora on turn five, and then you can play Ghost Spider turn six, moving that Gamora to a different location, and then you still have, uh, let's see, that was only two, then you could go to Kitty, and then you could do uh, Iron Fist Dagger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so literally final turn, if, if you played Gamora on turn five, you could play Ghost Spider, Kitty, Iron Fist, Dagger, and people are like, what the freak just happened? And there's just so many different ways to like slowly build up power across the board with Angela, with Kitty and all this stuff that nobody knows what the freak is going on. <laughs> You are kind of actually selling me on this deck. <laughs> like I'm hearing this, and I'm like, you know, like it's the one battle mode that I have lost so far in Silver Plus was to Juggernaut, almost entirely to the card Juggernaut. Just oh, a yeah. phenomenal, a phenomenal, phenomenal little guy. I used to play him in Sarah back in the day, like just when we yeah. just came out of beta. I would just like play Juggernauts and be like, well, this works. I played Juggernaut and Arrow in my Sarah deck. And even yeah. in that, Kingpin wasn't good enough to run. So I suppose that's probably good <laughs> news for the move players. But uh, I did want to jump, if you don't mind, Go from this deck, which is, you know, your your wheelhouse, Silk and yeah. Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. Move synergy cards. Mm -hmm. Do you expect to see them in this deck or other decks that you're brewing with? Are you excited for Spider-Man 2099? Have you been playing with Silk? We're leaving out Spider-Ham here for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get out of here, trash? <laughs> um, so I would say Silk is the one that I'm least excited about um, just due to its randomness. The only reason that it's good in a move deck is because of its buff to Kraven. Um, now, yeah, you can play it on top of Angela, which I do in my move decks anyways, and then you can move it away and do that sort of thing. Um, but for me, it, it, I feel like you would have to build a deck around Craven as your Angela. Like in this deck, Angela is my two drop that gets really big. So you would almost take this out. And then in another deck where you have Silk, it's like, okay, my goal in this is to make my Craven a 2-8, a 2-10, whatever. Um, so you would have Magneto in the deck uh, or you would have Arrow, things like that. I know, Cam, you've talked about how you like playing Wave uh, and Cloak on, on turn five. I think that would work great with Silk too because it would give you opportunities to move Silk around the board. Um, Silk is just a little bit too uncontrollable for me. 
Um, I think that Silk would work well with a Professor X lockdown deck because then you know where Silk is going. So if you're able, A, if you're able to play Professor X on top of Silk, then you just say, hey, there's a 2-5 and now my Professor X location has good power. Or if you can lock down a location, then you know where Silk is going to bounce back and forth to and you're going to be able to kind of control that a little bit more. Um, I don't think Silk fits in this deck and I'm not really... I've I've tried a couple of things with with Silk, but I haven't put enough time in into Silk to see if it really shines in the move archetype. Um, now, Spider Man twenty ninety nine, I think is going to be absolutely disgusting. Mm. Uh, my I had my my deck before this Gamuva deck that was like my go to deck that had like a fifty nine percent win rate after like. 400 500 games with it um was my stop and move deck which had uh shang chi cosmo um and heimdall in it um and i'm just gonna replace shang chi in that like there's there's no need to to have it in there and now you actually get more power so that's gone um and that deck was incredibly successful for me it was more of a hybrid move deck like i said it had cosmo in it it still had the angela in it, it had juggernaut had Shang-Chi and some other big cards. Um, but I crafted that one before Ghost Spider even came out. Um, but the thing that I think is cool about uh, 2099 is you're going to see that card in so many freaking decks. Like, it does not just have to fit within the move archetype. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to do lots of things with that. Cloak already has an incredible stat line. When Lizard got his punch in the gut recently, I was like, all right, get out of my deck, Lizard. When I was playing Saradex, I just threw Cloak in there. Final turn 2-4, cool. You know, no real risk final turn playing a cloak. Um, and so people can throw cloak in in like Sarah decks pretty easily and be able to potentially put that down and, and move things over and take it out. But I think 2099 is going to be nasty and we're going to see lots of good stuff with it. Still a lot of randomness with it, but um, I think it'll be good. Yep, four six body. Four, four six. six. Not a bad idea. Uh, just blow something cost. up. Like, that yep. is. <laughs> Like, I get it. It's not going to be as good as Shang in the spots Shang shines, right? Like, right. you're not going to be playing this against a Lockjaw deck expecting to beat, like, a Hulk uh-huh. and a Chavez in the same lane. It's not going to happen. But a 4-6, like, there are a ton of possibilities with that. I want to try, like, Zabu stuff with mm-hmm. him. Go, like, some sort yeah. of, like, move sub-theme Zabu deck, him and Miles, something like that. Yeah. Like, you have some overlap at the 4 spot already. I will confess that while I am not a big Marvel guy, generally speaking, when I was a kid, mm. I had a like guidebook to Spider-Man. And in the back, <laughs> they talked about Spider-Man 2099. I love that guy. He was yeah. <laughs> so cool looking. There was no like lore reason for liking him. He just had a cool ass Spider-Man suit. I was like, this <laughs> is the guy. So there are there are very few cards that I really want to be good the way I really want Spider-Man 2099. Four six body, yeah. like it, it looks incredible. And then, I mean, a four six body with an upside is just that's the place to be. We used to play a bunch of White Queen, and you know, maybe those mm-hmm. days have gone a bit, but I think that yeah. 299 is going to make some moves. I want to ask some questions about the original deck. Oh, list. Good, good pun. Hold on. I want to, I want to rewind. I want to highlight that. You think that 2099 is going to make some moves? Well done. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Caught that one. I want to ask some questions about the original deck list. How does your how does it function against Wave specifically? Because you talked about you know turn six Gamora plus the big Kitty Pride, and then also mm-hmm. do you think that this list consistently outpoint slams? What is the premier point slam deck in this format? Which is I don't know what you could call the Kitty Pride deck. Right. Um, so how do I deal with Wave with this deck? Mm-hmm. 
is kind of the main thing there. Yeah. Um, as long as I am, because here's the thing about Wave, they're only going to play one card too. Um, and typically you can, if, if you play enough, you can kind of sniff out decks that might have a wave in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that was the case, then I would probably play Gamora on turn. I'd still probably play Gamora on final turn. But just like you said earlier, Cam, you lost a game to just a juggernaut on final <laughs> turn. Um, earlier, I faced somebody who played Baron Mordo and it hit my juggernaut. And I only played Juggernaut final turn, and I won the game. Uh, so there are there are ways to work around wave because typically you're going to see it on turn five. If you see it before turn five, it mm. doesn't really matter. You know, I'll probably play Gamora on turn four if they play wave on on turn three or whatever, um, and just let it kind of be there. And maybe use Doctor Strange or Cloak to move it if I need to. Um, but as long as I'm spreading things out across the board and honestly playing cloak on turn five is like the equivalent of playing multiple cards on turn six because you're generating power on the board, which is what cards do. So if somebody's going to play wave and I play cloak on turn five, I am able to move cards, generating power and still play a card, which is the equivalent of playing three cards like let's say i pl- i move vulture and dagger and then play gamora I'm still getting a lot of power down even though i was only able to play one card um and so yeah sometimes wave can can catch you off guard especially if you were saving up for a combo where you wanted to do the whole iron fist dagger kitty pride thing final turn you'd end up being in trouble um but for the most part wave hasn't messed with me too much as long as i've been stacking my power equivalently or equally across the board because that's the biggest thing when it comes to wave is you want to make sure that you have your power stacked and then prediction for juggernaut and things like that Mm -hmm. and then the last question was sort of about uh the archetypical counterpart i guess to an extent you you do have some control cards in here with the storm and the juggernaut but the the Mm -hmm. sort of premier point slam uh, deck of this format, which is the Kitty Pride deck. How do you feel against that deck? Do you feel like the you're making up, you're getting enough equity out of your controller cards to not just be a point slam deck? And um, like, are you not competing with that deck? You think in this format, like Kitty and Hit Monkey and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the thing, one of the cool things about this deck is uh, Dagger, which is a card that actually benefits greatly from that deck. So if I see somebody playing the hood and then Angela and all that kind of stuff, sometimes I'll save dagger knowing that they're going to have a full location and I'm able to get 10 power there very easily by playing iron fist dagger. And it only costs me three uh, to do that. And so it's, it's kind of just paying attention to what my opponent's doing. And if I see them playing that very specific um, archetype, then a lot of times I will, uh, save cloak for if they have a full location or let's say that they play bishop at a location typically they're not going to want to move anything to that location because they bishop is going to be their power there they don't want to commit too much there so like depending on where i play my cloak and things like that it helps me mitigate some of the power that they're able to just slam down by predicting locations like that and then like i said dagger is like man seriously iron fist dagger is an incredibly strong combo especially against decks like that in this meta that people just 
don't even recognize. Like I'm telling you, I was playing Sarah Control decks with Iron Fist Dagger and being able to play Iron Fist Dagger, I just said that so many freaking times, <laughs> being able to play that for two and get, what is that, 12 power is ridiculous. Um, and so it's all about paying attention to what you think your opponent is doing. Um, and especially with that point slam deck, just knowing like, okay, I can point slam you too with my Angela and my Kitty Pride. And I could even play Iron Fist, Dagger, Ghost Spider, Kitty Pride and shut them up real quick because that dagger is going to be 18 power. Like literally <laughs> Iron Fist, Dagger, Ghost Spider, Kitty Pride. And if I'm doing that on top of Angela as well, then their point slam isn't going to do anything because that dagger is going to be, that one dagger is going to be bigger than all of the cards that they have at that one location. So it's just paying attention to what your opponent's playing and then saving certain cards. So don't waste Ghost Spider on Vulture. Don't waste Iron Fist on Vulture. Save those for Cloak moves. Save those for Doctor Strange moves, things like that. And, and just know the combos and the potential that you have to generate a lot of power with this deck with the least amount of energy possible. I think you actually hit on a couple things that are really important there. The first one is against that Kitty Pride Hitmonkey deck, they are filling up their lanes a lot because mm -hmm. of Mysterio, because of the amount of cards they play on the final turn. It's not it's very common to see like, you know, two, three, three. They're going you're going to have a bunch of lanes with good dagger hits. And that is yep. something that I generally I have not used the card that way in a lot of the time because all of my move decks have tended to have, you know, wave for that matchup. Kitty mm -hmm. and, and Heimdall, right? And yep. so I'm kind of wondering, like, you're now playing a move deck free of Heimdall. What are your thoughts on Heimdall overall in the <laughs> archetype? Because it is a, like, it's the tentpole card of the archetype, but it also is the most predictable card in the world. Right. Uh, I'm more excited for Annihilus. If you guys have seen that, I think that card's going to be ridiculous. The one where it just randomly moves everything? <laughs> yeah. I have no uh, idea if any of these leaks are real, but every time I see one of them, I'm just like, well, that that breaks my brain. I'm not thinking about that <laughs> until I have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I like Heimdall. And Heimdall is in my other deck um, that's less cyclable to where I would play in that stop, stop and move deck. Um, that was always kind of out there as maybe like a 40% played Heimdall. Um, typically, I don't play it too much unless like the math just fits because sometimes it's like, okay, very clearly Heimdall is the play here. Um, there are some super cool combos you can do with Heimdall. Like if Angela is to the right and you play Heimdall to the left, Angela gets a proc because it moves to that location and you get that two extra power. So if you plan that out accordingly, then Heimdall is now practically a 610, which is better than a Chavez stat line, which you'll see a lot of times. Um, and so just planning around Heimdall, not to just move the big cards, uh, but to give you other things like that is really good. The trouble that people get into with Heimdall is they just want to get as much power on the board as possible. And it's like, bro, you didn't need 60 power in that location. What are you doing? So there would be lots of times where I would play Cloak and I would only move Vulture there and not Dagger. So Dagger would stay in the middle lane. I'd only move Vulture over. And then I play it knowing that Dagger is going to tag in the other lane. So Heimdall is really, really good. But Heimdall takes more... Um, 
like you got to be thinking four turns ahead with Heimdall if you have it in hand. And that's where people fall short a lot of times is just getting stoked about <laughs> slamming Heimdall down and just ruining things. Um, but he does create lots of really good final turn plays, but it takes a lot more prep um, and it's less cyclable. It's like, okay, I'm only going to do one thing here. Fairly predictable, but I think I'll be able to catch people off guard with it. So I, I like the card. Um, it just isn't the most versatile, obviously, and it's super predictable for the most part. But you can use that as mind games too. Like so many, so many people think you play Heimdall, and when you don't, it's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> That's like the entire premise of the Wave Plus Cloak deck is uh-huh. that they have to guess what you're doing, and if they guess wrong, they absolutely lose, and everyone always guesses Heimdall. Yeah, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> always guesses Heimdall. They're always like, okay, I'm playing around the Heimdall here, and they lose to, like, a Chavez. It's just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, prior to this podcast, if I had played against this list, you know, the first five turns of the game, I would have assumed there's a turn six Heimdall, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you would have like, you would have played around a Heimdall, and you would have died to, like, Gamora. The quintessential yeah. move card. Um, Mold, I want to ask you regarding High Evolutionary. Do you think that card is too powerful right now? Is it warping the meta too much? Here's here's my thing about cards like uh, High Evolutionary and why I think that in its current state, it isn't the best for the game. I think that it is important to uh, create players who um, have to think deeper because then they get rewarded more. And then when their cards that don't require them to think deep get nerfed, then they stop playing the game because they think that they somebody just took something good away from them. Um, I think that high Evo is way too basic for the strength that it gives. Uh, you know, you, you just, you, you pass a lot of turns, you play things and then you just throw Hulk down uh, for the most part is kind of the way that it works. I think that the card is super cool and I love the fact that it unlocks abilities of the other cards. Like the idea of high Evo is so rad and I would never want to like tarnish that creativity that the team has because I think that's really, really important. Um, And the fact that it created a whole bunch of new cards within the game by using the old ones but giving them new abilities is like really cool. And I'm encouraged at the creativity of the team for doing that. And But I think there needs to be a balance of challenging the people who play your game to have to think a little bit more than this. It's kind of like with the whole Shuri Red Skull thing. That deck, you didn't have to think at all with that deck. It was just, it was so basic. There's, there's no thinking. And so then when it got nerfed, people who played it a lot just complained because they were like, oh, people can't beat me. And it's like, no, I just want you to, I want you to learn more. And I think High Evo limits people from learning and experiencing the depth that the game has to offer, which is why I've always tried to pitch move to people. And my argument to the team would be, don't you want people to experience everything that you've created? Like you guys created so much in this game and there's so much depth to it. And then you have things like high Evo that made them a lot of money, which is important because the Mm -hmm. game needs to make money, but ultimately it doesn't let people experience like the depth that your game has. And I know that CCGs are super deep and sometimes that isn't for everybody, but I, I think that in the long run, cards like High Evo don't generate players who will stay around for a long time because they're not learning and growing in their knowledge of the game and what it has to offer. So it's like an interesting balance of 
having somebody invest their time and their mental capacity into your game because they've learned it and they've enjoyed it rather than people just playing something because it's strong. And then when they get bored of that, they don't play anymore. I want to push back on half of that and then agree with the other half at the same time. So yeah. I'm with you. I actually think high evolutionary is a bit too strong, but the reason I think it's, it's a bit too strong is so completely different from yours because <laughs> I think Haivo is a bit too strong because it has subsumed all these other archetypes. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually is incredibly interesting mm -hmm. to play high evolutionary because yeah. it encompasses so many things at this point. It's not just Spider-Man and Storm. There's the Lockjaw deck. My best yep. high evolutionary deck plays none of those cards. No Spider-Man, no Storm. It's just playing like Rogue and Shang-Chi. It's just doing what a Sarah deck does. But the issue mm -hmm. I have with it is like, wait, isn't it completely awful that I just slapped like wave and rogue and Shang and then like eight high evolutionary cards in a deck and that was a deck and it was good. Isn't that terrible? Mm. <laughs> like that's actually my pitch, right? Like I think in a deck building sense, you're basically right. Like, like most things in this game are more effectively done with high evolutionary than without. And mm. because it is so varied, right? Because there are so many ways to play high evo, like I, there are going to be like three separate, distinct, very different high evo decks on my tier list because they're all very mm -hmm. good and they all have different matchups and they all need to be respected and you're going to see different stuff out of them. But also, it's very worrying to me. It wasn't worrying when it was just lockdown and lockjaw. But once right. I realized that like the tech deck, you know, like the Sarah archetype, the Black Bolt stature, Shang-Chi enchantress, like that archetype's been around for a while. The fact mm -hmm. that Evo does that archetype a little bit better than that archetype does itself does scare me in terms of how that goes down. And a lot of that is just because Evo can better accommodate Wave and those other decks are trying to play specific cards on five, Black Bolt, Sarah, and they can't right. accommodate the Wave. So Evo can just do that deck, but have Wave also. And it's like, wait, that's... Yeah, something's off here. Like, why are we why are we able to do so much more with this than right. we are with every other shell? Yeah, and I I always wonder if they recognize that stuff before in testing or if it if it comes up and is recognized through the tens of twenties of thousands of people who end up playing it. Like, do the creators find that out and then the team reacts to it, or did the team know that that was going to be possible or not? beforehand you know but you know i definitely i definitely agree with that it seems like it kind of replaces and washes some of those things that are in their own that create cool little metas within themselves and now it's like oh let's just throw high evo into it and then it's like oh okay so now everything's just a high evo deck <laughs> yeah like yeah. before high evo came out i was really excited about iron lad lockdown and then high mm -hmm. evo came out and it was just like well why would i do that <laughs> like, why would I do Iron Lad Lockdown when I could play High Evo Lockdown? It's just doing the same thing, but it's doing it a little bit better. better and it's yeah. like it's not like it's doing it so much better all the time. It's just a little bit better, but mm. it's a little bit better at like seventy five percent of the things the game is about. Like, right. So it's it's really noticeable. Yeah, Malt, you've been doing Marvel Sub content for a year. It's a large part of. Like you said, your full-time job. What do you think the future of the game is and what do you think the number one thing that's holding it back is? Interesting. Um, future of the game is new game modes that 
like I said earlier, like draft and things like that, that allow people to take a little bit of a break from the competitiveness of the ladder and of conquest. Because right now, all there is to do in the game, I mean, infinite was kind of that place for people. Once you hit infinite, it was like, all right, cool. Now I can just stick around with whatever I want to and like make ridiculous decks. And that was what people kind of looked for. So I think giving a people, giving people a place to experience the depth of the game, maybe even exaggerated, is going to be really, really good. Um, like when I think about things that worked really well in Clash Royale, it's when they would add an incredible amount of elixir and you just get to do ridiculous stuff. So it would be like Project Pegasus all the time. And just like, I think, I think if they could give people uh, an experience that you can't experience in the regular game, then you're going to allow people to stick around for longer, take a little bit of a breather, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think game modes are going to be super important for the future of of the game, especially when it comes to casual people. Because even competitive people want to be casual every once mm -hmm. in a while. You know, you don't always want to be just busting your brain and trying to min-max every single situation and all this kind of stuff. You want to you mess around and you want to see what the game has to offer. And so... Um, I think I honestly think the next thing that they need to do in regards to content is is a draft mode. Um, you can already go to MarvelSnapDraft.com. Somebody made it. It works really freaking well. You just click on it and then copy it, and it goes into. It's like, come on, this seems like it's pretty easy. Now, obviously, they have their standards; they have to fit it in. But I think that that is something that opens up the door for so many different um, scenarios. Um, Clash Royale has a draft mode. I actually created it and then they implemented it in, into the game and it is hands down the most successful thing that the game has ever done when it comes to game modes. Uh, and so seeing the success there, I think that it would work really, really well uh, in this game too. Um, I think that, I think competitive is going to be a thing. Um, I've watched some tournaments. They're super fun. Like I never really watched Hearthstone tournaments or anything like that, but I feel like it's, I don't know. Marvel Snap is just fun when it comes to competitive and the RNG can be a little bit frustrating, but I think that's why battle mode is cool because the chances of you getting bad RNG for all of those games is, you know, not nearly as high. And so there's a little bit of forgiveness there for the randomness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for the future. I think the game has, has done incredible. The fact that they're adding one card a week is freaking mm -hmm crazy because you don't really get that like runeterra would do that in like batches to where it's like here's 80 cards and it's like holy cow this is overwhelming and so with marvel snap the way that they've done it i think it's good to constantly have that i think card acquisition obviously is gonna have to be worked on to a certain extent i don't think they should just hand stuff out because they have to make money um but i think that i'm the type of person who wants to teach people to fish and not just give them a fish. And so I think that it would be good for people to work to gain things. I think if there was a way to work a little bit more or play a certain thing, or maybe if you make it to infinite in a certain window, you get more tokens or like, I think they just need to figure out a way to allow people to get cards um, faster, whether through spending money or through playing effectively, learning the game, um, things like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Cam, anything you want to remark on Marvel Snap's future and maybe some things that you think are holding it back right now? After that, I, I do want to dig into what you think the limited mode should be, Molt, because there's there's many different ways to do that. 
I actually wanted to jump onto the limited mode thing, yeah. but like, yeah, I, I can. I, uh, is this the part where we complain about the Dark Hawk bundle? Is that, is that what <laughs> I, I had is it as a little sub bullet point, but Cam, it's three x the value. So, what are you complaining about? Three times the value. I, I don't know how it's three. The the well, one below I, it is. Is it an ultimate variant? It's ultimate variant. Is it an ultimate variant? Surely, like, right? is it an ultimate variant, or are they pricing the cost of Dark Hawk into there? Yes. Or other conspiracy that value tag was meant to go on the hobgoblin bundle which actually is pretty good yes that's where it like, belongs like, that, like i don't know exactly how that ended up there but i i feel like a lot of people are like okay we're the tag is cool right like we get to make jokes about the tag that's that's funny and all that <laughs> but like the tag is not the thing that makes no. that thing suck what makes it suck is they kept dark hawk in series four and then they were like ah well Here's a $30 bundle for it, presumably pricing in the cost of a Series 4 card, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing. Like, people are going to focus on the 3x value because that's the thing everyone's making jokes about because it's, you know, pretty objectively funny. But, like, <laughs> the, 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 what seems to be either this is an ultimate variant and they didn't communicate it. So, meaning that it would mm -hmm. be 5,000 tokens, which right. is totally plausible because, like, if we're being 100% honest, it's so good looking. Like, yeah. Oh my God! Is it good looking? <laughs> uh or they are explicitly pricing in the cost of a Series Four card into dollars, right? And yeah. I think that's that's not good if that's what it is. And I think that the appearance of that is the thing that people are upset with. As far as the draft mode, I did want to jump back to this because I recently did commentary on a, I guess you'd call it a draft mode, uh, made by some mm -hmm. by by a Korean streamer, I believe. Yeah. And it was instead of just being like arena in Hearthstone, which is what Marvel Snap draft is, it was you'd get a pool of 48 cards and mm -hmm. you pick against your opponent. Like, yeah, you know, like in fantasy football, like a snake draft. Yep. It's uh, just be like that. Right. And so that Clash was Rye something, something that was, like that. That's called mega draft. And it's the same thing. It has a picture and you take turns mm -hmm. back and forth, back and forth. So yep. you can kind of see what your opponent's building and you choose your cards accordingly, which is freaking sick. Like, yeah. I love that type of stuff. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, that was that was basically the pitch. Like, would you be interested in that or would you be more interested in like a simple sort of arena style draft mode? Like which yeah. of those? Not that they both can't exist, right. but like which of those appeals more to you and which of those do you think would appeal more to like a casual player? Because I personally I love the complexity of the drafting against your opponent, but mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to jump into Hearthstone Arena than it is to jump right. into that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that it would be sick if there was a draft tab and you could choose either of those two. But if you could only have one, then obviously the one where you're going up against your opponent building, I feel like it's definitely that's definitely the more competitive option. But it is also super casual, too, because I don't know. There's just something fun about that. Like There's something less competitive about seeing what your opponent is doing because you can prepare ahead of time. Um, I, I I definitely think that one would be more fun and I would enjoy that sort of building back and forth. Um, Runeterra had something like this. It was called Expeditions to yes. where it would give you three and you would build and then it, they would be within certain archetypes. So maybe draft would be, it would give you destroy and then on reveal and then what, I, I mean, whatever it would be. And then you build from those three categories. So you're mm -hmm. drafting from three of the categories um, and you can build hybrid decks, whatever it may be. Because obviously sometimes 
you could just get really bad luck and draft like miserable cards. And you want to try and avoid that as much as possible. So maybe putting some certain parameters on there or them using like if-then statements in the coding that prevent certain situations from happening so that the user experience is a little bit better, um, I think would be really good. But I, I, I think draft could be huge for the game. Um, man, I, I, I really think it'd be super successful, especially if it was in, like, I loved the expeditions in Runeterra. It was so cool. Same sort of thing as Conquest. If you win, you move on. If you lose, you stay still. And then if you lose again, then you're out of it and you get certain rewards as you go along. Um, but yeah, that bigger draft mode would be so sick, especially yeah. if yeah, they I like, was, I was yeah, blown away. Did, like, yeah. and like the, the cool thing about the bigger draft mode is that it sort of balances itself. You don't need those if then statements because you it's just one pool of cards shared between the two players and you yep. see you have full control over it. There's no like behind the scenes computers giving you like, oh, well, they got Wong and Dr. Doom and I got nothing nearly as good. Right. You right. saw them pick that. You saw it happen. It's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very uh, like I was blown away by the mode. I think it's like because part of I think the argument against the inclusion of draft is just how much if they were to do something like arena just how much waiting mm -hmm. it would require. I know arena in Hearthstone is very weighted. Like you get certain things at certain rates and it's weighted that right. way based on balance. And that's like a whole nother balance team. Mm. Whereas yeah. the big draft mode, you don't need that. You just put the option in there and it self regulates. There's yeah. no, there's no, there's nothing really to do other than just wind it up and let it go. Yeah. yeah. Did you say there were 48 cards in it or did you know how many there were? Yeah, it'd be it'd be 48 cards. Basically, the, the way it works is Four you, both players register their collections with the mm -hmm. website. And if you you have 48 cards picked from between the cards, both players own with Agatha yeah. band usually. And so <laughs> the way the Koreans play it is you do you pick 11 cards, then you get to add one that you own the way the tournament I was watching played it. Uh, you just picked all 12 cards out of that pool of 48. And mm. that that is just like a, it was a really, really interesting spin on Marvel Snap yeah. that I'd never really seen before. Yeah, I think that'd be super successful for sure. Drafting as a skill is a really cool concept, I think. And the bit like to have the a, a separate skill set that you can get better at and improve at um, adds a whole different dynamic uh, to the game mode. Like anecdotally, I play a lot of paper card games, and there will be limited in these card games. You know, eight person draft, and it it's very mm -hmm. common in preparation to major for major tournaments or just in general that we will draft and that we won't play the games, or at least we won't play all of them because drafting in and of itself is an enjoyable and it's is an enjoyable experience. And it's part of the competitive experience. It's something you need to get better mm -hmm. at. So we need to, sometimes we're trying to just increase our sample size of doing that thing. So I believe they add what was similar to what you casted on cam. Like that would add a lot more depth to be a mode that I think that we would enjoy more. My complaints about something like, the Hearthstone sort of bucket system and it, it feels on rails. And if I've ever felt RNG in a limited system, I've felt it in Hearthstone Arena a hundred X more than I've ever felt it in like a Magic the Gathering draft or something like that. When you're able to compete against your opponents in the same pool of cards, you feel like you have agency. And even mm -hmm. though it doesn't go your way all the time, there's room to improve and you can take those skills and come back into another draft and do better. Where when you go into something like Hearthstone Arena, sometimes you just get 
a shit pool. Like it just, it just, it do- yep. doesn't really work out. And that feels terrible. Um, I do think that's the easiest system to execute, right? You're not relying on any other players. They can sort of feed mm. you some base like level of power, of power, right? So there's no super feels bad, et cetera. But ultimately for a fulfilling experience, I would look for something that is more, uh, you know, with at least it's with another person, right? Or you're you're competing. There's a pool of cards, etc. I think the best execution we've seen so far is the format that you described exactly, Cam. That's what mm-hmm. I would like to see. Awesome. I do what I can. <laughs> I, I, sometimes I do cool stuff and I talk about it on my podcast. That's crazy, I know, but sometimes, <laughs> yeah, rarely. Sweet. Oh, Cam, anything you wanna you wanna wrap up with here as we as we move to close out? I just want to thank Molt. Uh, this was a conversation like you're, you're not, you're like someone who's like established in a way that I can only like barely even like understand. Right. (laughs) And so this was a conversation I came into, like, I was like, okay, I don't want to say something stupid here. And you know, obviously I ignored that and said plenty of stupid things, (laughs) but like, I really enjoyed it, man. Like I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on move and things like that. I enjoyed the conversation that we had and just wanted to thank you basically. And uh, thanks yep. to Brendan for keeping me on rails. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome. Otherwise, I would be everywhere. It was really fantastic to hear you talk about move. Like I, I can, I can just, I can sense the passion from when, when you're talking yes. about that archetype. And you know, that's not something you get every day. And you really broke it down for us. And I think that the the title to ultimately be on this thumbnail is appropriate, which is that it is a move masterclass. Like I learned things, <laughs> you've sold me the deck, and. Like it's just incredible to meet players that that are sort of they empathize with a specific archetype that way, and it you know it expands what Marvel Snap is right instead of just your high Evo decks back to back to back to back. Right. Um, but again, yeah, thank you so much for taking your time and, and talking to us. For the audience, can you just shout out some of your socials, what you're up to, or where they can follow you, etc. Yeah, um, Molt underscore YT on Twitter, and then uh, obviously Molt Marvel Snap is my channel. Those are the two main ones that I. Spend time on. And again, I'm happy to do this kind of stuff. I'm nobody special. I'm just a random dude who posts videos on the internet. And I love talking about things I enjoy. So I appreciate the back and forth and the different perspectives. This is what a healthy game needs. It needs different viewpoints. It needs people disagreeing and talking about things. And it needs people digging deeper and showing the potential of the game. So I'm happy we were able to have this conversation. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, a little bit of housekeeping. Go ahead. Hold on, you hold on. You say like oh, I'm just a guy who posts videos on the <laughs> internet. It's like no, you're a guy who's been posting videos on the internet for ten, 10 years. years. Yeah. You know, I was true. doing ten <laughs> years ago. I was like passed out on a couch in college. Like <laughs> I do not have the level of uh, like like one of the things that I notice about doing content is like I'll watch it and I'll be like, oh my god, I made this very obvious mistake. And you have 10 years of looking at yourself and being like, oh my god, I made this very obvious mistake to get to the yeah. point that you were at. That's crazy. And like, that's something that I really admire is because like you have to stick with it and keep improving. And people like you, people like Cozy, people like Dexter, who are where they are in the community right now are people who have this kind of experience who have built off of their own success. And so that is just something that's really cool to see. Yeah, appreciate that, man. And yeah, community is all about growing, man. We're all in this together. And I truly believe that. So if you ever have any questions or anything like that, I'm always here to share got some you. knowledge even if you that. want some uh, some thumbnail advice because <laughs> my favorite I, thing to do man 
I, 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 the way you said that made you me think that like you looked at my thumbnails and you're like, this guy does not no. know what he's doing. And you are right. You are. You would be right. You would be so right. I just got the Canva Pro thing. I'm experimenting with fonts. It's going go. great. It's going great. I'm making every mistake that I will look back on in not even six months, like one month. And I'm just making go. them all now. That's what we're That's doing. That's how you grow, man. <laughs> yep. So awesome. So some housekeeping stuff on our end. We did have a review come in this week. This is from Joe.JoMama. The title, uh, the subject is nice. KM and B-Dog own. And they say, I, I play a decent amount of snap. And when I want to decompress, I toss this bad boy on. KM is insightful to the game and offers great 90s pulp pop culture references while Brendan guides the show in a pointed direction. Always fun to listen to. Thanks for the content. We really appreciate the five-star reviews. It's the number one thing you can do for this podcast if you listen to it. And you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash snapshot or Apple Podcasts as before if you want to go direct. There's a video version of this podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that like and subscribe while you're there. We're all on Twitter. I'm at Brendan APG. KM is at KM Best MS. And Molt is once again at Molt underscore YT. KM, your Twitch schedule, sir. Is there any consideration to changing your handle to B-Dog? To B-Dog? No. Uh, probably not. I don't no. think it would. <laughs> I don't know if that would scale very I well. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you watch this video back, you'll see me like, 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 you know, like when you like zoom in, you're like, you, you're in the middle of a game and you're like getting closer to the screen that you're watching it on. When, the, when he said B-Dog, that is what happened to me. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was actually zooming in. Uh, I am on Twitch, KMBestMS, Twitter, KMBestMS. My stream schedule, uh, I will be trying to do like kind of makeup streams the next coming week because I will be off uh, this weekend at, before this comes out. So I'll try to do Monday, Friday, Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I might burn myself out doing it, but I do want to make sure I get that content train back rolling as soon as I am back this weekend. So that is where you can find me, twitch.tv slash KMBestMS, YouTube KMBest in a snap. Such a good YouTube name. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next week. See you.